Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. We're going to talk today about faith in politics, the role faith used to play in politics, particularly on the left side of the political spectrum, and the role that faith might be playing today or into the future. If you think about it, think about the major progressive movements of our nation. Think of how they were rooted in the church, the political strategy for those centered around moral obligation. And they came from religious groups that pushed for an end to things like slavery, equal rights for women, and an end to Jim Crow. But over the past few decades, the message of religious obligation and morality has been largely won over by the conservative movement. The Republican Party has benefited greatly from the support of the conservative church, which has found political inroads with an anti-abortion, anti-LGBT, evangelical base. But new humanist movements are afoot that have invigorated the liberal church with discussions at the fore over the value of black and immigrant lives and the future health of our planet. Can progressive churches and religious messages find their way back into political and social prominence in a way that shapes the future of our country? Or are progressive movements now owned primarily by secular America? We want to spend the hour today talking about that. A little later in the show, we are going to talk to two local members of the clergy who have their own view of political service and activism about how they see that unfolding over the fu- over the future. Uh, up front, though, we want to talk with Lori Goodstein, who is a national religion correspondent for The New York Times. She recently published an article that's titled Liberals Fighting for Their Faith, Seeking to Break Rights Grip on Nation's Moral Agenda. Lori Goodstein, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. And We want to hear from you, the listeners, too. Talk about what role you think faith does play in politics, particularly on the left today. Think about the way you see the Democratic Party often running from the idea of religiosity and conservatives on the right side of the political spectrum sort of embracing the idea that faith guides their decisions and actions. Uh, Think about what that looked like in history and think about what you think it will look like in the future. Are we going to see a resurgence of leftist politics in America that are driven by religious belief, by moral faith? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Lori Goodstein, I want to start with a quote from your story in the New York Times that I think really sets the stage for this conversation. It says, after 40 years in which the Christian right has dominated the influence of organized religion on American politics, souring some people on religion altogether, studies show, uh, left-leaning faith leaders are hungry to break the right's grip on setting the nation's moral agenda. You seem to be presaging there uh, a resurgence of of faith-based politics on the left. Well, after Trump was elected, I began to see that every time there was um, a a march, a protest, um, an action, um, there were religious folks 
very, very present and wanting to make their presence known. So whether it was those, um, you know, protests that broke out at airports around the country, um, around President Trump's executive order um, barring Muslim travelers, uh, there were lots and lots of religious folks there, and not just Muslims, Christians, um, Jews, uh, Sikhs, people of faith, um, you know, who are spiritual but not necessarily affiliated with any particular church. Same for the Women's March. Same for the protests around um, around Black Lives Matter. Um, same for the protests around the environment when it became clear that President Trump was considering pulling out of the Paris Agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that said to me that something here is going on. It's not that those people and organizations and churches were not active before. They were. Uh, but I saw them coalescing in a way that I hadn't before. And so that's why that's why we did this story. Yeah. Uh, is it that they are now insisting that uh, the, the infrastructure of government, the infrastructure of political party, respect that, that faith that they have that drives their decisions? I mean, I, I talked in the open about this distancing that we've seen between the Democratic Party, for instance, and activists like this over the last uh, 40 years or so, is it that these activists are now saying, you need us and we won't be silenced, we need to be at the center of uh, your, your political party? I think, I think that's right. I think what they're saying is that they want to bring a moral language to the debate. It's not just that you need, you know, our votes, you need our, our, uh, our presence, mm-hmm. but also that the, the, you know, people of faith are saying and, and clergy are saying that we have language that can help the country determine what is right and what is wrong, what is moral. And so very often um, you, you hear people, um, you know, using passages from the Bible about what Jesus said about care for the poor, uh, about care for the orphan, about care for the sick. And then that language works into, um, you know, you, you can see that language on posters when people are marching, um, talking about, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't repeal and get rid of uh, the Affordable Care Act, because it's taking care of, you know, as Jesus said, the least of these. And so that's what I think these people of faith are saying they have to bring to the table is a, uh, you know, a moral, um, moral language and a moral agenda to help guide the country. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, in your story, you quote uh, the Reverend Dr. William Barber, uh, whose passionate speech was a centerpiece at the Democratic National Convention mm-hmm. last year. He says, if you think this is just a left versus right movement, you're missing the point. This is about the moral center. This is about our humanity. That speaks directly uh, to the point that you were you were just making about this being about a substantive mooring for politics uh, on on the left. Um, I, yeah, go I ahead. think I think that's an important quote also because I did find um, you know uh, Reverend Barber and so many others I spoke to were not comfortable with the very language and the framing we used for this story. The story was about the religious left. Uh-huh. But many of these people are very loath to say, I am located on the left. Um, you know, in part that is 
I think in part that's political positioning, but there's also a part to which that's very sincere. Um, they don't necessarily line up on every issue in the same way that what we think of as the political left would. Some of the people involved in this movement are uh, evangelicals and Catholics, for instance, mm -hmm. who are opposed to abortion. Well, that's not a typically political left position. Um, now, Reverend Dr. Barber does happen to be, um, you know, pro-reproductive rights, um, uh, you know, pro-choice on abortion, but not everybody is. And so I think that quote is important because they are trying to kind of reclaim, you know, to, to say that you don't have to be, you know, to think of yourself as a leftist or even as a Democrat to be with us and to think that these issues of what's right and wrong, say, you know, taking care of poor people or making sure that people have health insurance or that uh, people have good educations or jobs. These are not necessarily left issues. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Lori Goodstein. She's a national religion correspondent for The New York Times, recently published an article titled Liberals Fighting for Their Faith, Seeking to Break Rights Grip on Nation's Moral Agenda. We are talking this hour about the relationship between politics and faith, particularly on the left side of the political spectrum. Over the last 40 years, we have seen the Democratic Party in particular run from religiosity in many instances, almost ceding the idea of religious politics to the right, which has capitalized on uh, the ability to get votes, to build party strength through the language of faith. Uh, why has that happened? What has changed in America that makes that true? And are we witnessing yet another change uh, by which uh, faith, people of faith on the left are reasserting themselves into the political infrastructure? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 5771019 you can also go to the WDT Facebook page put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today and we'll try to work your comments into the conversation let's go to John in Franklin John welcome to Detroit today thank you Stephen I love yeah. your program well thank you um, and I'm really pleased that you're having this uh, discussion today um, as a, and I have a comment, as a person who is uh, both a person of faith and left-leaning, uh, I think that we need to face the fact that uh, Christianity has been hijacked strictly for political purposes. And I think that horse is out of the barn, and I don't think that we have a chance uh, realistically to reclaim it in the political sphere, nor do I think we should, because I think we're in the danger of making uh, the, the uh, religion as perverse as the right has uh, if we politicize it from a left perspective. Instead, I think what we need to do is we need to look at the way that uh, we give tax exemption to the church. Um, and I believe that particularly with the politicization of religion that we have in, in this country at this uh, point, that that is a direct uh, violation of the Establishment Clause in our Constitution. And that I think that people who really care about faith, particularly Christian faith, uh, particularly the real Christian faith, which I consider to be uh, more liberal, uh, we should be not trying to assert ourselves politically, but withdrawing the government's support of the right-wing religion wow. uh, from that uh, perversion. 
Yeah, John, that's a really interesting. It's a really interesting point. It's obviously a counter narrative to, uh, to to what we've been talking about so far. I'm I'm really glad you called and injected that into the conversation. I guess my immediate reaction uh, is is that I think that seeds an awful. I mean, I think that the, the idea of getting religion out of politics is 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 probably a moonshot. Uh, and so, as a practical matter, what you're talking about really does seed the religious strength and the moral message to the right. Uh, Laurie Goodstein, I'm, I'm curious about what your, your sense of what John is talking about is. Well, I have to say that I heard from readers after this story, um, uh, there were many who felt like John does, that religion has no place in politics from the left or from the right. But I think I have to agree with you that the, that horse is already out of the barn. Um, you know, government gives uh, tax exemptions, um, to religious institutions and to and to charitable institutions, regardless of their political positioning, it's not right. just you know those on the right or those on the left. But interestingly, one of the things that President Trump is proposing to do is to make it um, uh, make it easier for uh, for churches and houses of worship to get even more involved in politics. Right now, they are not able, um, they're not legally uh, allowed to endorse candidates, candidates or right. to give money directly to just political campaigns. They can, of course, um, you know, speak out on, on issues. That is no problem. But they can't be doing what's called, you know, electioneering. And President Trump wants to get rid of that rule. Um, it's called the Johnson Amendment after uh, President Johnson, he was then a senator, mm-hmm. existed um, for something like 50 years. And what is so interesting about the debate about this proposal is that, by and large, um, clergy and people of faith are against it. They don't want to see their churches and, uh, you know, and, and synagogues and mosques even more politicized than they already are. They see danger. Um, there, is a, there are some uh, you know, conservative uh, clergy who've been pressing to remove this rule for some time. They want to be more involved in politics. But by and large, um, when you look at polling of of, uh, of religious leaders, they don't want to go in that direction. Yeah, yeah. John, again, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Uh, Adam on Facebook uh, says, please keep religion out of it. Page on Twitter says, why does religion have to play a part in politics at all? Shouldn't we base our political stances on issues. So uh, two of our listeners echoing some of the things that uh, you say you heard from readers at the New York Times, uh, Lori Goodstein. Again, John, thanks very much for the call and and the comments. Let's go to Steve in Ann Arbor. Steve, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Uh Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I I just wanted to support something um, Ms. Goodstein uh, said earlier um, about I would say it was uh, inclusive uh, religious practices, uh, being a little bit shy about uh, the polarization that comes with uh, politics. Um, and that, although I come from a faith tradition that has long been involved in uh, political and moral leadership, a Unitarian Universalist, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I believe that uh, we have a moral... Uh, responsibility to speak truth to power, and that part of that is the power in politics. And I think inclusive principles over the last three decades 
for the liberal church have somewhat muted their um, passion for uh, getting into the political fray because we realize that not everybody thinks like us, not everybody behaves like us, not everybody belongs to the same groups like we think of ourselves sure. in. And so that somewhat is, I think, a, uh, a, an operation of being reflective about what you say as a spokesperson um, when sometimes you really can't speak for uh, an inclusive, diverse group. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating point, Steve. If, if, you, if you sort of look at the opposite side of the spectrum, though, there doesn't seem to be that same level of restraint, I guess maybe you would call it, on, on the right, that, that there is a, a confidence, perhaps, that is associated with their faith and their politics that says this, you know, the, the politics is one way to sort of achieve that, uh, that faith goal. Why, why shouldn't, I guess, why shouldn't the left at least mimic that? Are you there, Steve? Well, I, yeah, go ahead. I think there's some, uh, there's uh, certainly the, uh, they're not as restrained. Uh, and uh, you might say that with confidence, uh, I would describe a lot of that as arrogance. Fair enough. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, but, but, but my point, I guess, is that if you take the position that you have to hold back and their position is we've got to push forth, uh, it's a it's a tough way to it's a tough way to see your vision of inclusivity uh, affected a, a, across uh, a, across the sort of political infrastructure, right? Well, in my experience, uh, Unitarian Universalists have not held back. Right, they have been reflective <laughs> to make sure that when they're characterizing themselves as speaking for a movement, that they really represent the movement and not. Uh, only their little bubble within the movement. Sure, sure. Yeah, Steve, thanks very much for the for the call and the comments. Laurie Goodstein, uh, what about that idea of sort of left restraint? There, there, there is another. Uh, there's another quote in your in your uh, story that that sort of speaks to this issue. It says relations between Democrats and religious progressives have been more difficult since 1980, when evangelicals deserted Jimmy Carter, one of their own, whom they had supported in 1976, for Ronald Reagan. As Republicans cemented the Christian right as a cornerstone of the party's base, Democrats moved in the opposite direction, so intent on separating church and state that they recoiled from courting religious blocks of voters. Steve says that is about not wanting to to foist, I guess, uh, your own religious beliefs on everybody else, not claiming to represent everybody. Is that one of the things that's at the crux of this? I think that's one of the factors. I mean, it kind of comes from both sides. I mean, you've put your finger on it that the, um, you know, uh, clergy who lean left um, feel much more restraint about uh, being open about their uh, about their political or, or social beliefs and bringing that uh, you know bringing that into the public or even into you know in, into their sermons um, than those you know compared to those on the right. So partly it's coming from the people of faith, and then partly the distancing comes from the the party itself. Which has seen some, you know, perceived landmines if you go into the, you know, religious sphere, um, particularly around the issue of abortion. Um, previously, also around the issue of gay marriage. Um, so that's, you know, the, the 
reason that there's been more distance there between the Democratic Party and uh, religious folks than there has been between the Republican Party and, and their religious flank. Um, it, you know, it's both sides mutually distancing themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Laurie Goodstein, national religion correspondent for the New York Times, author of a recent article titled Liberals Fighting for Their Faith, Seeking to Break Rights Grip on Nation's Moral Agenda. Thank you very much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about faith in politics, this time talking with two local faith leaders about how they pursue political ends or restrained from that. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Matt in Detroit, Max in New Center, Tom in Northwest Detroit. We will get to you. Stay with us on Detroit Today. WDET, bringing you culture and information that empowers our community. Every day on 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking today about the role of faith in politics, in particular on the left side of the political spectrum. Once upon a time, progressive movements were firmly rooted in the church, in the idea of a moral center. (coughs) Nowadays, you're as likely to see Democrats sort of running from the idea that there are religious values attached to their ideas or their policy initiatives. Why is that true? And is that about to change? We were talking in the first segment to Laurie Goodstein, a reporter with the New York Times, who's written a story about the possible resurgence of uh, faith-based politics on the left. Uh, Now we want to talk with two local faith leaders about how they navigate the space between faith and politics. Uh, with me now is Reverend Faith Fowler, Fowler, who is executive director of Cass Community Social Services and pastor of Cass Community United Methodist Church in Detroit. Also, Reverend Nick Hood III. He is pastor and senior minister of the Plymouth United Church of Christ in Detroit. Also, a former Detroit City Council member. Welcome, both of you, to Detroit Today. Good, Good morning. morning. Yeah, uh, Nick, I want to start with you because uh, you've had to you've had to think about this in explicit terms. <laughs> in your life. Mm-hmm. You also come from a tradition of uh, faith leaders who have uh, traversed the, the the rocky shoals of politics here uh, in Detroit. I, I'm curious how, how you see that relationship. Uh, how does your faith, the things that you believe, guide, or how did they guide uh, your, your politics? How did they shape uh, the political outlook that you had when you were a member of Detroit City Council? Well, you know, I've always believed <clears throat> that uh, faith drives the politics for the faith community. It's not the other way around. It's not the politics driving the faith. It's the faith that drives the politics. My father, you may not know this, was one of the founders sure. of the SCLC right. in yes. New Orleans. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think SCLC started in Atlanta but it was actually legally organized in New Orleans. My dad just pastored a little church, and but the issues were so stark. You know, uh, the, the, the right to vote, the right uh, to have your child go to integrated school, the mm-hmm. right to uh, go to uh, department stores uh, like everybody else. And uh, so the issues were very clear then. Uh, here in Detroit, 
uh, for me, you know, I would say, you know, I've been listening to your your show and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the lead into this. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge for today is that um, 65 or 70 percent of Americans don't go to church. And so that's one issue. Right. The other issue is that many of the churches are in Detroit are fighting for survival. Right. Sure. There are churches here that can't pay their water bill. Right. There are churches here that are having a difficult time just staying open. And uh, so they're dealing with subsistence type of issues. So I would say that I don't think that the church has really forsaken the politics. Uh, I think it's uh, kind of a sleeping giant. And part of the issue is the people in the progressive movement who are driving the liberal politics right now, many Uh of them are not in church. They're not in church. And so, you know, we forget that uh, Martin Luther King, who's probably the greatest example of uh, a clergyman who organized uh, social justice movements uh, in America, that was not his intent. Right. His intent was simply to go to Montgomery and pastor a church. (laughs) Right. And uh, as the... Uh, the segregation on the buses became more and more difficult. It was a group of old ladies. It wasn't even the men. Mm. Uh, Andrew Young <laughs> talked about this at my church, uh, you know, at my dad's funeral last year. He said it was really a group of old ladies, yeah. you know, who came to him and said, we need you to do this. And part of the reason why they chose him was because their husbands and other men, male leaders in the community, uh, were all affected. They were afraid that they would be affected if they right. got out front right. in terms of a, a civil rights movement. Yeah. And so Dr. King was chosen almost uh, as an afterthought. Yeah. He was not the first right. choice. Right. And so what we see in the Catholic Church today of uh, supporting um, you know, anti-abortion, mm-hmm. what we see uh, around the country with the conservative churches that uh, you know, they have their issues, uh, for them— their faith is driving their issues. I think in the liberal community, I think the liberal community's got to step back and ask ourselves, um, you know, where do we really want to land? Uh, but I would dare say, and then I'll, I'll shut up because I know <laughs> okay. faith has a lot to say. <laughs> okay. I, would, I, would, I would dare say that the, the churches today, the, the, not just the, the mainline churches, but the African-American churches, uh, the Pentecostal churches, uh, all have some form of social service ministry. Right. The, the challenge is uh, how do we engage these churches in something bigger than feeding programs, bigger than um, our parochial right. kind it's, of it's connecting. Missions. It's connecting those specific uh, initiatives to the larger political and governmental context, the idea that policy also affects those things, not just the things that you do uh, in the church. Uh, Faith, this is something you you struggle with, I think, uh, all the time here in the city of Detroit. I can think of, off the top of my head, uh, a dozen different initiatives that you have that are directed at the the specific needs of people here in Detroit, particularly poor people here in Detroit. Uh, but I but I'm always sort of wondering: should we be also should we also have you at the center of a conversation about how policy at the political level should shape the, the, the things that happen to these folks? Sure. Um, Reverend Hood is absolutely right that almost every church in the city of Detroit is doing something yes. because they're surrounded by such great need. Um, 
where our main campus is, the poverty rate is over 44 percent. Um, so you always have somebody hungry, somebody homeless, somebody in need, and, and those mercy ministries are important, uh, but so are justice ministries. They, they are different sides of the same coin, if you mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem is that if churches receive government money, they feel very limited in what they can do as it relates to justice ministries right. because um, your funding comes from the government, the separation <laughs> of church and state, and all that um, kind of thing. But in, but indeed, the church at its best has uh, fought the good fight over um, you know child labor and, and working conditions that are appropriate and civil rights and um, just just every major issue it's been a part of. I would say, and continues in a way, I mean, certainly uh, we deal today, churches today are dealing with the immigration issue and mm-hmm. her human trafficking issue. Yes. I'd like them to be much more involved with poverty, but um, they haven't been thus far. Um, uh, so it's not that they haven't let that inform their politics. They've been afraid to say that that's why that informs their politics. And I think part of it is because we live in a different country, not only are uh, large numbers of people not going to, to worship in a Christian environment, but but we have Muslims and, and, and Jewish people and, and other faiths that we're trying to be respectful of. And so I think that sometimes causes us to be uh, timid about sharing where we come from. Sure. I don't think they negate each other. Uh, uh, clearly, many of them point to Abraham as, as the father, <laughs> right? Uh, but I do think that causes some people to not want to tie their politics to their faith, to their for, faith. for the fear that it would seem like they were proselytizing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rhonda on Facebook says, I truly believe that I'm a liberal because of my faith. Mm. Jesus did say that we should take care of the poor and so on. Maybe we should have a third party, the moral party. That's Ooh. an interesting idea. <laughs> Maybe a party that's rooted uh, more explicitly uh, in in uh, in moral faith. Uh, Anthony on Twitter says, "Retreat from religion by liberals is more true in white people. People of color have been using faith as a political organizing tool for years. Uh, they're framing out some of the things uh, that we were just talking about about your father, Nick uh, Nick Hood, and the things that he did uh, when he was uh, a reverend and a politician uh, and an activist here well, in well, the Steve, city of Detroit. Yeah, go ahead. So now. that uh, last Twitter comment uh-huh. that you just made, uh-huh. uh, one, I agree with both of them. Uh, but one of the interesting things about black politics uh, in Michigan is that that's where the ecumenism is. Yes. You know, the ecumenical movement in the church, in the black church, mm-hmm. is through our politics. Right, right. Uh, and, and typically on a state level, uh, when there's a gubernatorial or senatorial race, um, you find churches that otherwise wouldn't have much to do with each other, from the Pentecostal to the all the you know various religions uh various denominations yeah we come together can i say one other thing sure. about politics and faith yeah um as you you noted i served eight years on the detroit city council mm-hmm. i thought i understood what it meant to be sanctified and to be consecrated and uh for god's service mm-hmm. but i didn't really understand it until i went on the detroit city council because the pure Expand sense of yeah. consecration and sanctification is that somebody is set apart for God's service. I didn't realize that until I went to the council where the issues there tended to be decided more on expediency, uh, political you know, sensibilities, and so forth. It didn't have anything to do with your morality. Yeah. And for me, I always felt like there was a 10-pound uh, weight 
that I was carrying maybe a 20 or 50 pound weight because I said, my, my vote has to be decided not just on what's expedient, not just on what satisfies my political constituency and my political sensibilities. And not but just what will get to, you reelected, right? <laughs> and and the, the reelection, you know, capability. But it also really, I was impacted by, is it moral? Right. Is this the right thing to do? What, what would Jesus have to say about me voting for casinos? <laughs> right, you know, right. Great well, question. Right? You know, and, and, and that's just one of them. Yeah. And so... To me, it was actually spiritually uh, one of the greatest experiences of my life because it forced me to define in a much clearer sense uh, what I really thought was right and wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Reverend Faith Fowler. She is the executive director of the Cass Community Social Services and pastor of Cass Community United Methodist Church here in Detroit. Also with me is Reverend Nick Hood III. He's a pastor and senior minister of the Plymouth United Church of Christ in Detroit, former city council member here in the city. We're talking about the relationship between faith and politics. What does that relationship look like in modern America? We know that historically, on the progressive side of things, uh, the most successful, the most high-profile movements, the things that changed our country uh, at its core, the end of slavery, uh, women's rights, the end of Jim Crow, all of those things found their roots in the church. Today, you see a lot of Democratic politicians, people on the left, running from the idea that religion is at the core of what they do, trying to sort of stake out, I guess, a more secular space for their politics. What do you think about that? What do you think we are likely to see in the future? Is there a resurgence of the idea of faith at the core of leftist politics? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll we'll work those comments into the conversation. Uh, I want to shift the the conversation just a little bit uh, here. A while back, we had a guest on the show who talked about Uh, One of the things that may be at the crux of what we've seen in terms of the withdrawal of uh, of faith from uh, politics in an explicit way, um, this person was talking about the shift from the gospel of salvation to the gospel of prosperity, that Mm -hmm. inside the church there is something of a moral crisis in some cases about what our politics is ought to look like, uh, and that this was one of the drivers uh, to the, 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 the change that we have seen over the last 40 years. Faith Fowler, how, how do you uh, react to that? Well, certainly uh, many uh, congregations, even very large congregations, subscribe to the gospel of prosperity. Uh, I don't read it in any of the gospels. I mean, it's, it's just not there. It's, right, really hard <laughs> um, to find in text. Um, <laughs> So I'm much more encouraged by congregations that have been coming together over the Flint water crisis and mass incarceration and, and those issues that do speak to me from the scriptures. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I, I don't know what to it's say. Just not I, I know why people are attracted the, to it. I yeah. mean, everybody uh, wants to have more money, right, and more things. Right. But Jesus never says that. It's, right. it's not in the Beatitudes. It's not from the cross. It's just not there. So if you point people back to uh, the Bible, the word, the New Testament, as Christians, 
uh, they'll see that it doesn't square, it doesn't jive. Yeah. Uh, Reverend Hood, think back to the 1960s and the civil rights movement, uh, the, the things that your father and, and other people were doing, the things that they were preaching. It was this idea that there was uh, there was salvation in the idea of civil rights. There was salvation in the idea of uh, extinguishing poverty. Uh, fast forward to the 1980s, things like televangelism sort of come around and really, really warp that message. Uh, is that one of the reasons that we've seen uh, faith play a different role in our, in our politics? Well, I think theologically, uh, there always has been some tension between uh, salvation, the eternal salvation, and uh, the lives that we lead right now. In the uh, late 60s, or early, middle to late 60s, uh, there was uh, quite a theologian, some would say, arguably, the dean of the black theologians, James Cone, Mm -hmm. wrote a book called Black Liberation Theology, and one of his strong points was that... uh, at that time, he was really uh, against and upset with the whole concept of a quote unquote pie in the pie, uh, pie in the sky kind of religion. Mm-hmm. And he said, we need to be more earthly focused. And so he made that transition to the argument why the black church should be in, and black people should be involved in liberation struggles right here uh, on earth. Yes. The prosperity gospel <laughs> ministers are taking the second half of James Cone's uh, <laughs> message. I mean, I think they would agree with them, you know, although, you know, pie in the sky religion is <laughs> not necessarily the end goal for them, you know, the, the, but it's your earthly prosperity right now. And uh, so it's kind of a weird um, divergence yeah. from where Cone was. I'd like to d- share with you another anecdote sure. going back to the first point I made, which was that the faith drives the politics uh-huh. and not the other way around. Uh-huh. Um, my father's predecessor at the Plymouth United Church of Christ was a man named Reverend Horace A. White. Yes. And uh, Horace White, I believe, maybe to this day, may be one of three preachers whose painting or photos is in the UAW headquarters because he actually got beat up terribly on the Bloody Sunday Mm -hmm. with the Mm -hmm. uh, fight to organize Ford Motor Company. Yes. Well, part of the reason why I think Reverend White was involved in that struggle was Plymouth United Church of Christ had a number of auto workers who worked in it. It was his Walter, congregants. Who... Walter Ruther's personal secretary mm-hmm. was a member of the church. Um, and so there's no way he could not be involved in it right. because he's, he's not just there as a do-gooder. He was out there uh, at the Rouge plant because he had members. You know, he was representing and so I think part of the challenge now with the, uh, the liberal movement, the progressive movement, is what churches do these people go to? Right. You know, and if they're not in a church, who, who are they talking to? What ministers are they talking to? You know, I've talked with uh, young people who told me they're community organizers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess your audience can't see me. <laughs> with, your, <laughs> with your scare quotes. <laughs> yeah. But and I said, well, you know, we'll go to church first, you know, you know, and, and then you will speak with greater authority yeah, and you'll have a, other people who will 
listen to you. Yeah, that's a really interesting. That's a really interesting point. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the intersection of faith and politics with Reverend Faith Fowler and Reverend Nick Hood III. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are the Reverend Faith Fowler, Executive Director of Cass Community Social Services and Pastor of Cass Community United Methodist Church here in Detroit. Also with us is Reverend Nick Hood III. He's pastor and senior minister of the Plymouth United Church of Christ in Detroit. We're talking about the intersection between faith and politics. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. 313-577-1019 is that number. Also go to the WDT Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Matt in Detroit. Matt, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Big fan of the show. Sure, thank you. Um, so, growing up for me, one of the most powerful memories um, was I grew up in Gross Point, and I was an altar person for a service at Christ Church Gross Point, which is an Episcopal church, uh-huh. um, where there was the ordination of a queer minister. Um, and I remember there were some people who made challenges to his ordination, and the Archbishop of Detroit, of the Episcopal Church of Detroit, I can't remember his name, but he just gave such a clear and like powerful and unambiguous speech, just completely embracing this man's sexuality and his um, um, welcoming, welcoming this new minister into the church. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that since then that I've really seen that clear and powerful um, of an expression of that, of that embrace. And um, I think that we live in a time right now where in the mainstream it's becoming more, it's become, it's becoming like less and less acceptable for um, people, even I think people on the right to express their reservations about the queer community and about homosexuality. Um, and, but at the same time, I think I've also witnessed on the left, um, in the church and out of the church as well, um, a lot of people who think of themselves as embracing of the queer community, but haven't really necessarily taken stock of the unlearning there is to do in terms of the kind of like messages that they've internalized from society. Right. And... I think that as I hear a conversation about the left and about the progressive movement, um, I think that there's a serious block there when you think about, you know, how difficult, how difficult the idea of being comfortable in a church setting is for a lot of people in the queer community. And I'm wondering where are the faith leaders who are willing, not just like in different sentences to say, um, to 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 you know to be more welcoming, yeah, yeah, yeah to be, no. well, to be more and, and welcoming, to... and not and specifically, 
in the sense that like, okay, there are a lot of people, you know, there are a lot of like people who claim like politicians too, who will, you know, in one part of a speech talk about, you know, gay rights, right. another part but of their speech then what talk are about they their doing? faith. Yeah, no, I get but, it. But where, but where is the statement that like, oh, it's, you know, the connection between the two where it's actually saying, right, right. oh, it is like, it is because of my faith in Christ that, you know, that I am accepting. Right. Those, Matt, those that's, two things aren't separate. Matt, that's, right? a, that's a great, that's a really great point. Uh, and I think it, it, it sort of to expand on his point, have we seen the issues that frame progressive movements sort of come into conflict uh, post-civil rights era, I guess, uh, with with the teachings of the church, and is that part of the the withdrawal of churches from from progressive politics, Reverend Hood? Well, you know, I would say uh, first of all, thank Matt uh, for calling in. Um, I think the challenge for the church uh, is the same challenge that has happened since uh, the time of Jesus Christ, which is we have scriptures uh, that uh, help us to form our theology. Yes. That, and ultimately forms our politics. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that you always have to ask yourself, as James Forbes, the great preacher and theologian, wrote in his book, Whose Gospel? You have to ask yourself, what parts of the Bible do I uplift? So, for example, the, there are some passages, uh, particularly from the Apostle Paul, mm-hmm. but also um, in the laws of Moses that are explicitly against homosexuality. Uh, by the same token, you have verses also from that same Apostle Paul <laughs> who says, Slaves, be obedient uh, to your masters. Wives, be subject unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Right. And then Paul also says, It is not right for a woman to teach a man. Right. You know, and so careful now. Yeah, but <laughs> now I'm, you're really preaching. And so. For those of us, you know, I have high regard for uh, Reverend Faith Fowler and her ministry. I have uh, two associate ministers who are female mm-hmm. and a, one, a, a third one who was my former associate. I theologically, long time ago, had to make the decision that I was just going to skip over that part of what Paul says. <laughs> right? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And, uh, you know, in the African-American experience from slavery— we have a slave song that says, before I be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the slaves that were singing those songs was, they were making a theological statement. They, you know, and those, those are the first verses in the Bible. They were taught be obedient unto your master. So back to Matt's point, the, the point that I'm making is that denominations like mine, the United Church of Christ a long time ago, my denomination is the first denomination, I believe mainline denomination to ordain a gay minister, uh-huh. um, William Johnson, I think is his name. I met him when I was in divinity school. And uh, so the United Church of Christ has already dealt with that issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I believe the Methodist Church. Oh, I, it's yeah. a little more yeah. nervous. I can't go there. I can't. Reverend Fowler, talk about that conflict, though. Yeah. I mean, so much of what you do is about inclusiveness and the the, the, the reaching out to people who might be different, who right. might not fit our, our you know, narrow vision of, of, uh, of virtue, I suppose. Right. Uh, well, talk about how that, virtue, how does that conflict, how does yeah. that conflict with the... So within uh, our denomination has been divided on this issue for at least two decades, maybe more. 
Um, and you'll find some congregations that are very open and warm and accepting and advocating and uh, protesting uh, for equal rights in the church and in society and other churches that um, are blatantly against uh, any sort of inclusion in that way um, and take a much more literal interpretation of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So, um, in, unfortunately, in that way, we mirror society rather than uh, being the moral compass, if you will. Um, it's a real struggle, and, and um, I, w- I wish I could uh, say that we've resolved it. We have not. Yeah. But that's not to say there haven't been individual clergy uh, persons and, and laity who have... Um, paid some real sacrifices to stand up for what they believe in terms of um, us all being children of God and all having the ability to be leaders in the church of, of God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, good morning to everyone. Hey. Uh, and You know, to go back to where Reverend Hood was talking about when he was on city council, the thought that came to my mind was this, can't serve two masters. Uh, And, you know, to me, the last time, to me, Democrats can't afford to get into a horseshoe throwing contest in terms of, you know, uh, building up this uh, faith kind of thing uh, compared to the Republicans. Because, like you you said, Steve, they ran from it for so long. And, I mean, now it's going to kind of like come back to bite them in the behind. But to to, to, uh, make a comment about the uh, comment that was made about a woman shall not teach a man. Listen, <laughs> women rock cradle of society. <laughs> women are the nurturers. They are the first educators of all of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom, well, thanks very much Steve, for that. Uh, I, yeah, we've got about a minute left, but go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the, the point that Tom made is theologically what I'm saying, which is um, if if we can agree that women— are acceptable to preach and to teach, then why can't we make the same comment about the homosexual? I, I think that's the question, and and I think you know that's the question that's sort of shaking a lot of established churches. The United Methodist Church, I think, is in the middle of of that argument. I, I think you're right, but I think a lot of other people. Uh, uh, see their faith as pushing them toward a different conclusion there. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know how that gets resolved. I'm glad that the caller raised that that point, though. Um, uh, let's quickly go to Manjeet. We've got about 30 seconds left, Manjeet. I want to get you in here. Steve Anderson, uh-huh. I like your program very much. Thank I'm you. from India. Uh-huh. Your today's topic is wonderful. I think that is the root I think for the any uh, democracy, and you have raised very important issues. Uh, faith teaches us inclusiveness, and inclusiveness is required. I think I'm observing this country uh, now required between the two parties okay. which are ruling. Uh, it's very much essential. Yeah, I yeah. Think. Manjeet, I, I appreciate the call. I'm sorry we ran out of time there. I want to thank Faith, faith Fowler and Reverend Nick Hood III for being here on Detroit Today. Uh, That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. See you tomorrow.